When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello there. We are back live with uh, Wolverine Live. And we are coming to you uh, from the our, our inner sanctum studios. I'm John Borton. We got Tom Crawford here from uh, his various pursuits, in, uh, including Press Pass on Fox. And, of course, the Crawford Podcasting Network. We also have one Nick Baumgartner, senior writer for The Athletic. And uh, great to have you here with us tonight, Nick. We're going to be talking about this book, yeah. uh, Top, And it's uh, the inside story of Michigan's 1997 national title climb. Uh, he has worked with Mark Snyder. Uh, a couple of former Detroit Free Press guys, and mm -hmm. uh, done a great job with this book. We're going to be talking extensively about that. So, uh, Nick, really glad to have right you on tonight. Thanks, JB. I really appreciate it, Tom, you as well. Uh, thanks for letting me come on here. I wish Mark would come on. Mark's doing a school pickup, I think, tonight, though. He's busy, so <laughs> <laughs> it'll just be me. But, hey, I mean, I know I know plenty about what's going on with the current team. Oh. And obviously, yeah, excited to talk about the book, too. You can more than hold your own on that topic and a couple of other ones before yes. we dive heavily into the book, which we will. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, this start that Michigan is having to the season. We know that you've written about the 1997 Wolverines. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it, it's dovetailing in here with a Michigan team in 2023 that could uh, that aspires to do right. what the 97 team does, which is is very convenient and very nice for uh, for selling books and uh, and that sort of thing. I, I would just say, you know, if if the the 2023 team gets it done this year, um, boy, that is almost a tougher road. I'm nothing taking nothing away yeah, from, from 97 because John Jansen's a very large man and would fold. <laughs> but you know, with the playoffs added in now, I mean. It's a tall order to, to win that national championship. Oh, yeah, huge. I mean, it's a huge task, and it's so much different. It's almost like – and one of the reasons why this book was so exciting, we'll talk about it later, was 
97 was like a formative time, such a like flashpoint for college football. It was the last year before the playoff. And as we know, guys, like it's changed so much over the years. And now you're at a point where every second of every game is so critical. Mm-hmm. And really, at this point, if you don't have uh, offensive line talent at an NFL level across the board and then depth with it and a quarterback who's capable – you're probably not going to be in the conversation. And Michigan, you know, fortunately for everyone on this show or watches the show anyway, and uh, on the team there, they have that. They have, I mean, for the first time really probably since, and, you know, JB, correct me if I'm wrong, since the Lloyd era, this is what that looked like to me. It's the it's the five up front who really can get it done. And when they graduate, you've got four or five more ready to go. And right now, you know, with J.J. McCarthy, this is as good a, you know, he's as talented a quarterback. I wrote it the other day. Uh, he's as talented a quarterback that Harbaugh has worked with in college since Luck, um, and I think he's he's probably the most gifted Michigan's had since uh, Drew Henson. So that's you know that's where he's at, and I think he's gotten a lot better. Um, but yes, like you said, John, I mean it's a, it's a it's a tough road, and we'll see how it goes. There you go. Thoughts, Tom? Well, I'm a Nick. I'm gonna you know all due respect. I got I got I got to go overboard on the on the Drew Henson. I mean I got I, you know I've been following Michigan football. Nick, since 1964, I think he's the greatest quarterback Michigan will ever have. Maybe when it's you think all, ever, well, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I still was at that Northwestern game, 54-51, when Drew Henson mm-hmm. threw for like a zillion yards, and I said to myself, I've never seen anything like that. He was throwing dimes, but this guy, I, I swear to God, and people are tired of me talking about it. Um, he's gonna, he's gonna be the best, and um, and and you know when you. When you really break down and watch, what tape a game and watch it again, his feet, his trajectory on his pass, his and this all the other intangibles, the leadership off the, off the field, and um, he's and his downhill running, which we will see downhill running at critical times, and that's the ultimate test. I think. I, I would humbly point out that on the yeah, same. Sorry, I blacked out there, guys. I don't know what you. I would. I would just want to point out that on the same roster oh, with Drew Henson. Uh, was the greatest yeah. quarterback in the history of college football, or in the history of football period? And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you know, had had uh, Tom Brady had the '97 defense well, in his back, yeah. back pocket, yeah. I, I get it, but uh, yeah. I don't think that that uh, Tom Brady had the same uh, same defense as '97. And some of the same breaks, because in 99, had it not been for the Henson uh, mania, I think Michigan had a real chance at that national championship. But but real quickly about Tom Brady. Remember Tom Brady down at, you know, at, you know, at training camp and and the love handles and he's not cutting all this stuff. (laughs) And the the Tom Brady that evolved from that. That's a college version of Tom Brady does not compare to the NFL version. It's 100% true. That's my he, point. Hey, I, we talk about it in the book. He learned yeah. to be that guy at Michigan, I think, during that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that, but uh, you got a little preview of coming attractions down the stretch, <laughs> Penn State, Ohio State, and that no, alligator. Oh, my. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I think he felt what was coming. Anyway, yeah. that's just that's just my Tom Brady moment for the night. You know <laughs> I got to have it. So, uh, but, but, Nick, <laughs> overall, when you look at this Michigan team this year, how legitimate is the thought that, hey, it, it could compete because of uh, J.J. McCarthy, because uh, of an offensive line that, again, looks really solid, 
and a defense that uh, seems to just reload these days. I think it's yes. I think it's the whole offense, John. I think it's it's not just JJ. It's so important that it is him because he's made. And I keep saying I don't really care who they've played for his sake because the throws are that accurate. They're accurate against. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, it's they're where they have to be. The ball's going where it has to be. I think he has nearly as many touchdowns as incompletions at this point or something like that yeah. or close to it. Yeah, it so he's been as, as close to perfect as you can be. And he looks like the real deal to me. That arm talent is there. And I know people have been a little concerned about the offensive line. Uh, and I hear that a lot from folks. And I would point out, you know, they're bringing a new center. Uh, and I know that uh, Nugent there had a lot of experience at Stanford, but this is, this is a different deal running this offense. And Oluwatimi was a special, special player. So I think it's going to take a minute for that offensive line to figure it out. But I do think there's enough talent there to do it. And I think at the end of the day, the difference is McCarthy. And, you know, on top of that, you had, you have a, another NFL tight end someday in Colston Loveland, who's only a sophomore. And then the receiving core is really good. It's a disciplined group that I think Michigan, if they, if you took their runaway and you were a good team, I think they could still beat you with the pass. And that's, that doesn't happen very often here. I mean, we don't say that every year. And, and I think that this is one of those years where, where it could happen. All right. And we all have already heard from Tom Crawford in the past that uh, this team is going 15 and 0. Tom, <laughs> any reason to waver off of that in well, these two weeks? Well, you know, at the money presser, um, Harbaugh, you know, did a little something different. He started to nitpick a little bit. And, you know, he hadn't coached on the field. So how would he know? But right. But um, you know, about, <laughs> about these, um, you know, not getting the chunk plays, the over, over 10 yard bursts. Mm-hmm. And and Mike Hart alluded to this when we were talking to him on Saturday, and he wasn't blaming his running backs. There's some disappointment in that offensive line that Nick alluded to, and I agree with you. It's going to take you can it just can't seamlessly evolve with new no new additions. And and last and year I, they did, and it was a special deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I I'm clearly confident that it's going to emerge, but it's just not there right now, especially when you're considering the talent they're going against. And when you go against a, a you know a tougher rush defense like a Penn State, what you know Iowa State, Michigan State's defense is always tough when they play Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a different you know challenge, and, I, and they're going to have to be up to it to you know to smooth out some of these uh, hiccups. Yeah, no doubt about it. I I would agree with both of you. This is uh, certainly a work in progress, and uh, but the beauty again of uh, what they're doing and who's directly ahead of them and even opening the uh the big 10 with Rutgers I know Rutgers isn't Rutgers now isn't the Rutgers of old but it's still better than facing a Penn State here's my question for you Nick right now is that um you've got a couple of games that most people think will make the difference between whether or not Michigan makes it to a third straight big 10 championship game or not at Penn State there in November and then mm-hmm. a couple of weeks later, Ohio State at home. At this point in this season, which of those two games do you think will be the more difficult for Michigan? Uh, right now, if I'm looking at it today, it's at Penn State. I mean, and I'm, yeah. I'm and I hate to say that because Ohio State has so much talent. Uh, but and I'm actually looking at a lot of Ohio State stuff for something later later in the month before they play Notre Dame. They're going through something right now offensively, and it's very interesting. And they're changing a lot, and they've been changing a lot. And it's, you know, they're trying to get the tight ends more involved in the run game, like Michigan does, like Georgia does, like Bama's doing. And it's, uh, you know, middling success is happening there. And that's not what you want to see necessarily right off the shoot. And then also McCord is not C.J. Stroud. I mean, he is 
He's not Haskins uh, either. Um, you know, I think that he's certainly not Fields. And so I think you're dealing with a situation now for the first time if you're Ryan Day in Ohio State in a long time where you do not have a top 10 draft pick playing quarterback. So you got Marvin, but like, you know, there's they got to make some changes, I think, offensively. Uh, and I'm sure they will. But, you know, right now I, I'm looking at it and I'm saying that's a team that's still trying to figure out what it is. And I think Penn State is probably closer to knowing what it is with even though it has a young quarterback and everything else. Um, but the environment there would be the difference maker. Right now, I still think Michigan's matchup with Ohio State is probably about what you want because Ohio State now is trying to do kind of what Michigan's doing, and Michigan's obviously better at it. Yeah, no doubt. I would uh, I would agree with you there that uh, Penn State at this point, given the solidity of their squad, given the venue, uh, we've yeah. both been we've all been to Penn State before and know what oh. that like. It's it's uh, a madhouse whether day or night. And so I, yeah, I'd give the edge to Penn State. How about you, Tom? Well, you know, excuse me, when I look at the schedule, I always always look at road games, right? So we got Nebraska, Minnesota, right? I, you know, I've seen them too many times now, or, you know, a couple times a season. That's that's not a threat to Michigan. So what's the other road game prior to the the two-game season? I call it Penn State and Ohio State. It is literally a two-game season for Michigan this year. And it's Michigan State. And why do I, you know, the Harlan Barnett press conference today, I know we're going to talk about that. There's something there that could galvanize, that could make that Michigan State team a tough out. If they get some momentum, play Washington competitive, might even win it. Who knows? But that could be a tough game because of the toxic environment that we, mm. we've talked about for the last 12 months. And that place has been somewhat a little bit haunted for Michigan, even when Michigan's had a cavernous talent gap lead, like in 2016, they struggled for a while. They lost. They had the better team in 2021. They lost that game. The 18 game was a struggle, and they should have smashed Michigan State in 2018. So these are the these are the factors that I consider that it's Penn State, obviously number one, Ohio State number two, worry factor. It's a two game season, and then that little asterisk out there. What can Michigan State do on the night of the October 21st when, you know, they're serving alcohol now for the first year of the season? Yeah. And they'll just be they'll just be humming by the time 730 comes. Right. Well, I would say they will be. But uh, the question might be, how many uh, how many players will they have on hand to decide not to maybe save themselves for another venue in another year? I mean, (laughs) how many how many of these guys just say? I'm, I'm, you know, not going to play this entire season and then bowled out of here. Well, I, I think, you know, uh, you know, and Holland talked about that today at the presser. I think, well, right now they're locked in. I think Mark D'Antonio's presence is used for that reason. Uh, I'm, 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 a lot of reasons why he's on, he's on the field for some crazy reason. He should be up in the box. But um, I, I think that's, you know, that was my first thought, J.B., but I think they're going to engage. Harlan's a Michigan State guy. I mean, this is the same team they want to play. It doesn't do good. So I, you know, to sit out now. I mean, I just, I just think that that's not going to be an issue. Quite honestly, with this. All right. I would also add, there, there's not a lot of guys on that team. Like Keon Coleman would have been one, and he's yeah, not there exactly. anymore. There's not a, but yeah. there's not a lot of guys on that team that you're like, oh man, they're like a slam dunk to be yeah. like they're they're all trying to prove it. So exactly. I'm kind of with Tom on that. I, I could see – and Harlan's a – you know, he's a good guy. I could see them playing for him. But it's like 
that's a big shock, and we're going to have to see how this this Saturday will be fascinating. I have no idea. How that's it, it will really be riveting, indeed. Yeah. Yep. Well, and and the thing is, you take a couple of uh, of big losses early in this season. Yes, I know. With your head coach being gone, it could be a very dispiriting thing. Sure. Yeah, it could be a, something where okay, we're going to rally around and we're going to pull together and we're going to do this and that. But you still have to do it on the field. And if you take a couple of hard body shots early in the year, that's when things start to get a whole lot tougher in later October and into November. I think that Washington game on Saturday is is just going to be interesting because yeah. you know I've you know I've gone back in the first game with Michigan State uh, Central they started out slow but Noah Kim ended up making some plays late and frankly guys the last two weeks and I know again we talked about that with JJ the opponents sometimes for these quarterbacks are you making accurate passes he could throw it a little bit I totally understand yeah. why they were moving on from Thorn I like a little bit of some of the stuff they showed you know they've got a long way to go and that was the that's really on top of everything else uh, long-term for the program. That's the bummer there with all this that uh, Tucker got them into. But now it's like for this exact team, they look like they were maybe starting to find a little bit of, of something. And then, so we'll see because John is a thousand percent right. We've seen this a thousand times, not to this level, but anytime a team has some sort of, you know, whatever in the middle of the season, seen it at Michigan, seen it everywhere, right? Whatever it is, varying levels. They come out that next week and they either, Show you what they're. And they show you what they're going to be for the rest of the year, really. Or it's the either, other, you know. Yeah, it's one or the other, and they show you right off the shoot. They're either going to give you an effort all the way through, and it's going to be something that you're wowed by, or it's going to be like a great effort for a half, and then they're going to stumble, and then it'll be done. And well, you let know, me unfortunately, you that's I, more often than not. Yeah, yeah. I go back to the '95 mission when, when Lloyd Carr was interim head coach. You know, we had the Gary Moeller thing situation happen, and so 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 also we had Lloyd Carr. He's down 17 nothing to Virginia. About 95 freaking degrees out, and Mercury Hayes catches the ball. And he, if Mercury Hayes didn't catch that ball, I mean, who knows where that season would have that generated a little bit of momentum? I know they stumbled against Michigan State and some others, but um, 100 percent that's a great ball. Critical that game, that game is so critical. The first one, yeah. Anyway. Well, speaking of uh, Lloyd Carr under the microscope, they certainly look. <laughs> that in in mountaintop and that's you know so many things that drew me in early on i'm reading this book and i'm you know i i think it was a brilliant stroke for uh nick baumgartner and mark snyder to start this thing off with judgment day with penn state right. and with uh you know all all the drama of that particular weekend but what drew me in i mean i i know about judgment day i know about uh uh, so many of the things that went in, everybody knows about the Dadrian Taylor hit, but mm -hmm. it was the things that I didn't know. It was even being in every press conference, talking to these guys since right. 97, you're, you're hearing from Marcus Ray, the never soft spoken safety that, uh, <laughs> was on an earlier version of this podcast for years, uh, talking about, uh, how you really get to Curtis Enos and slow him down the uh the Penn State star running back about Charles Woodson and how really literally shaken he was over mm -hmm. the Dadrian Taylor hit and what fell out of it in terms of those two guys on the field those are the kinds of things that okay I'm on board I'm I'm reading this thing because this is uh this is really good Nick, uh, talk about your thoughts on 
how you wanted to present this. I know you did a, a, an incredible amount of research on it. Talked to a lot yeah. of guys, got Lloyd involved in the whole thing. I appreciate it, JB. Yeah, I, and Mark and I, uh, about two years ago, somewhere in there, Mark uh, approached me uh, and asked if I would help uh, with an idea, more or less, and it turned into the, it turned into this is what it turned into. Uh, yeah, and it was a lot of research about everything, like you said. Uh, we start, we we write about 94, 95, 96, 97 in this book. Um, you know, Tommy mentioned the Gary Moeller. We write a lot about that in this book and stuff that I don't think people know or, or, or quite realize uh, that happened uh, from Lloyd's perspective uh, significantly there. So, you know, 20 hours of interviews with Lloyd. Um, we talked to more than 100 people, you know, over a two-year period. We got Lloyd's personal notes, which I don't know that many people quite realized that he uh, took notes in a tape recorder at practice every day and had a staffer transcribe them. So we've got those two mm. for the 97 season. And I think that, you know, you mentioned it, the, the judgment day and, and Marcus, you know, talking to the guys and getting so upset. And you could see right when, when he was telling that story to us about, you know, how mad he was at Adrian for tackling Enos Lowe or whatever. And he was, he was still getting mad. And it's like, you could see the investment that every player coach, whatever had, in what they were doing. And like, that is championship material. That's what it takes. And it's like every guy we talked to could go put themselves right back in that place, including Lloyd. Um, and I think that Lloyd, you know, when he was coaching, um, obviously when you're coaching and when you're close to that time, you're never going to want to pick favorites or point to one thing or another. But when all said and done, there was never a better example of a team that bought into everything that was sold to them, lock, stock and barrel for each other and never blinked. And that's what that team was to me. So our, my, our task was we got to find everybody's version of that, everybody's moment. And I think that that, that was the thing I'm probably most proud of is that we, I was telling somebody the other day, like everybody has a moment in a season like that. Tate Shansky is a guy that I know you two remember. He had a moment. We found it. And we, when we talked to Tate, right? Like, so, I mean, all types of stuff like that, that was the fun part about this book, I think. And then, you know, getting to learn more about, you know, perspective from Charles Woodson about what made him great. Mike Gittleson, we talked to Mike Gittleson for two and a half hours. I think that was like the third interview Mike's ever done. So um, a lot of fun stuff. It was a lot of cool, a lot of cool perspective that I'd never heard before. That alone is amazing because I remember the first thing uh, that Bruce Motti, the uh, famous <laughs> yeah. director of sports information, when I came in in 1991, said to me, he, uh, we were out at lunch and he, he said, okay, here's a piece of advice for you. Don't ever try to talk to Gittleson. All right. <laughs> I never did. So yeah. if, you, if you guys uh, were able to uh, have that kind of sit down, um, first tell me what, what that was like and maybe oh. one of his perspectives and then maybe uh, talk about some of the most fascinating uh, people that you interviewed. So, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, Gittleson in, in itself is really, if you think about it and you peel it back and you learn his story, um, and it's in the book. We tried to do the best we could in there because he's never really told it. It's, Gittleson is the first ever strength coach. He's yeah. college football's yeah. original strength coach. Schimbeckler yeah. hired yeah. him. Um, yeah, to be more or less, more or less that, but it was also like, We'll see where this goes. And it was just about because nobody looked at weights back then. Nobody did any of that. Nobody did or took it serious. Nobody bought in. And he was the first one that, that was like that. And every single one of them that's uh, appeared since is, is a derivative of Mike Gittleson. And it really is the approach of mental training as much as it, as it is physical training. And to hear those guys 
talk about, and I've heard all this stuff over the years, even when I was covering the beat, John, about, and I know you guys had too, that you know, Gittleson became like archaic in, in time and didn't keep up with the times. And there may have been, you know, at the end, who knows, right? But really what, what, what they lost when they lose a guy like Mike Gittleson is the mental toughness yeah. challenge. When, when those guys explain what it takes to run over a line in a workout with Gittleson, where your body is hovering over a line, and if you don't do it, like it's embarrassing to a level that nobody wants to feel. And it's like that to me, Gittleson was the reason Gittleson is the guy that kept it all. He's the guy that guys come back for. He's the guy that guys have the sayings that they learn it from the history. And he was so humble about it. And, you know, it's not about me. I don't care. And still to this day, I mean, he still never really talks to anybody hey, hey, Nick, and Nick, he's very quiet. Yeah. Nick, yeah. if I could interject. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Paul, it's 1978. Um, I'm at Michigan as a student, not a football player. Right. So I want to take this cupcake class at the CCRB, weightlifting, okay? <laughs> right. So the, the instructor is a guy, this new guy Bo hired, strength and condition named Mike Gittleson. So I yeah. went in there, you know, the guy's got, you know, he, he looks hair. a little bizarre, man. I mean, he was – Vietnam veteran Mike Gittleson, that's right. It yeah. was scary going to class. <laughs> this is a one-credit, yeah. just blow-off class, right? Activity class. I was exhausted. I'm like, what yeah. did I say? I'm not a football player. <laughs> and everybody was looking it's, around, what did we do? What were we thinking? Right. It's great. I think that it, he's the great example of Michigan had so much talent back then, right? Every guy, every, you know, even before Lloyd in the Schimbecker days, Moeller days, I mean, the classes that these guys were bringing in was crazy. In the 90s in particular, they really were loaded up. Uh, and so everybody has talent. Everybody can train. Everybody weightlifts. It's all, but it's really that, that mental piece. I mean, you've yeah. got guys now to this day, to this day, that played on those teams and whatever will show up at Gittleson's door with advice in their life about business or whatever, because he's the guy they trust more than anything. For a lot of guys, yeah. he was like a dad. And so he's, he's maybe number one on the fascinating list. Another guy, JB, Eric Mays. We talked to Eric for a long time and Eric doesn't, another guy who doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. And uh, he was just, he shared a lot of stuff that I'm not sure people uh, quite know about him. And um it's when you talk about guys like Eric Mays and some of these other guys on the team, Rob Sweat, and then I see what the current team has done over the last two-ish years when we were writing this book, I couldn't help but note sure. some of the similarities because of the role players, all those guys, and that was the funnest part of the whole book. Mm, okay. Well, yeah, I, I take that a little farther. I mean, what mm -hmm. would what what comparisons would you draw between 1997 and what Jim Harbaugh has going on right now? Well, I think number one is is the is the uh, investment from the guys. It's like they and I saw it. And I was still around them a little bit more than I am now in 2021. Uh, and obviously, things have changed quite a bit. But not. But there's still a lot of guys that were that are here now that were there then, and guys that were coming up and learning. And I could see it building then. And guys like Sane are still and Blake Corum and like their um, buy-in and care level for each other is at a level was at a level that I had never seen at a time that I've been covering Michigan in the 10 years prior. Um, and having gotten to know these guys in 97 and they all talk about this, like they were never on a team. A lot of these, most of these, not most, but a lot of the guys, half the scholarship guys played in the NFL for quite a while. And uh, you know, I was never on a team that close ever again. It was never even remotely like that. Guys like that, they were, I go to the NFL and I talk to guys that played at other colleges and nobody had an experience like that. We had a very special, unique group that cared about each other. And I think that that's what you have here. You don't see a lot of situations where Michigan is getting beat anymore by little, little stuff. The little stuff doesn't get them. They get all the little stuff. They get all the dirty stuff. And that's all effort and caring about the guy next to you. So 
that comes across in how you play. You know, I've been around football long enough to know that. And that has been the number one thing is how hard they play for each other and for the coaching staff. They bought, they sold out for Jim Harbaugh, that 21, 2021 team, I would say. That's their legacy. They changed the, as Harbaugh would say, stopped the train and got it going the other way. And they yep. did it for him as much as they did anything. And back then, 97, you know, they all knew if we don't win something here this year, Big Ten or otherwise, or do better than eight and four, Lloyd's fired. That's it. He's done. And so, you know, I could see similarities in that as well. Uh, guys putting on the line for their coach. Very good. Yeah. Tom, jump in here. What are you itching to know from uh, the author of Mountaintop? Well, you know, I, yeah, I, what I'd like to know from Nick is, you know, you talk, you know, you talk about the culture and everything. And I think the culture is mm-hmm. very similar. But, you know, when you talk to, you know, when you talk to the Michigan players, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is referenced a lot, you know, and yes. then the free Harbaugh thing with, with J.J. Anno, haha, and all that stuff. But there's two things that strike me about this team is the admiration for their coach and coaching on this staff is off mm-hmm. the freaking scale. I'm talking about the players. Right. And, and, but I'm curious to know, I mean, what was the coaches, coaches working for Lloyd? Like, was that, was that a seamless situation um, of, of, of easy peasy? Um, or was it difficult compared to, you know, these coaches on this staff seem to want to work for Jim pretty, pretty intensely. Yeah. By 97, it was definitely that what 90s, you know, that Madison was the one exception, Greg Madison, who we also talked yeah. to. Uh, about some stuff, which is interesting in this book. Uh, but, you know, he's the one exception, right, who, who goes to Notre Dame, which galvanized some things. But also I think you've got a bunch of guys on that staff that were I, – I liken them a little bit to an island of misfit toys. And uh, they were all guys that came from – Brady Hope was not really supposed to be there, and then he was there, and then he wasn't Lloyd's guy. Yeah. And then he was stuck with them, you know, and he was able to get Vance uh, Bedford out of Oklahoma State. So it's like it was kind of a hodgepodge, but they, nobody expected them to do anything. And they went through adversity and Lloyd was up against it. And they, and they all cared a lot about Lloyd. I think that they all knew how much it meant to him and how much he cared about them as people and everything else and and their futures as well. And so the similarities to me are are exactly that. And that when you talk about Michigan's turnaround here, you, you can't do it without talking about how bad it got. And there was a lot of people that were, that stuck it out and, uh, saw it and saw what, how it affected, you know, Jim Harbaugh and saw the changes that came from Jim Harbaugh and all that stuff. Lloyd had gone through a lot of stuff at a time in a very different situation, sort of picking the program up off the ground after the Moeller thing and trying to carry it and just doing anything he could to keep one foot in front of the other one day at a time. And there was so much about like, you know, he took ownership. He recruited a lot of those guys. He had relationships with a lot of those guys, but there was so much about like, that's my coach. I'm going to do anything. We talked to Aaron Shea. And one thing he had said was, you know, at one point along the way, Lloyd asked me to play fullback, and I hated it, and I never wanted to do it, and I never did it in the NFL. If anybody in the NFL asked me to play fullback, I would say absolutely not. But if the Browns had hired Lloyd Carr, he's like, I would have done it. I would have done it every day, and I would have done it until I would have my head would have fallen off because that's the difference. And, like, yeah. you know what, Jim, it took him a while sometimes, and some teams had it and some teams don't, but it certainly seems like he's got that right now. But, that, Nick, do you think, you know, that 90, you know, that 96 96- – Michigan Ohio State game. Oh, Michigan comes oh. off this embarrassing, you know, this this bad loss to Penn State at home. The block mm-hmm. punt, you remember that uh, for Penn State, and they, you know, everybody, no one gave Michigan a chance to beat Ohio State down there. And I was down at that game, uh, and it was just going to be a coronation for Ohio State. They were going right. to, you know, win the national championship. And, and <laughs> Ty Street sits at, you know, that slant route in the game. You know, Brian yeah. Greasy, they, they hold Chris Howard carries the ball and. 
All of a sudden, they win the game 13-9. I mean, do you think that one generated a lot of momentum oh, in the 90s? Huge, huge game. Uh, we talked to Jansen uh, about that for a long time, about that game specifically. John, uh, in fact, John's favorite drive ever, he told us the favorite drive he's ever had as a player was uh, the last scoring drive of that Ohio State game where they just milked the clock and finished yeah. it. With a, he said he's still mad they didn't finish in victory formation there. But I think it was they ran power and counter like 15 straight times and nothing yeah. else. And they just Howard. completely mauled Howard them. the ball carrier. Howard the right. ball carrier. That's all you heard over that. That's all it was. And Howard the ball yeah. carrier. And, and that was – he said that was the first time that he thought um, him and some of the other guys that were around, that the younger guys, that we can do this, we can hang with anybody. Any Our problems are only our own. Like, you know, because that team had already lost three games and yeah. would lose one more. But yeah. I think for him, that was, he said that crystallized that day because he's like, our defense was so good. And they were, you know, Ohio State could do nothing. That was maybe one of Woodson's best games he ever had. Yeah. And people don't remember it. But that 96 Ohio State game, Marcus was good too. Uh, but it changed a lot. It, it changed an awful, awful lot. And then after Madison had left shortly after that, I think that galvanized people even more. And it turned into this, you know, momentum thing that it really never stopped. All right, that you you mentioned Aaron Shea, and uh, <laughs> the the mere mention of the name Aaron Shea, I've had many conversations with the man. I, I got to slip in my favorite story that Aaron Shea ever told because it was a later version after '97 when uh, yeah. when you had the whole Henson uh, and Brady thing going, and uh, I recall that in one game Lloyd wanted to run the transcontinental, which of course the quarterback throws to a wide receiver. The wide receiver pitches it all the way back across the field to the wide open quarterback looping out. And therefore they wanted Tom Brady to fake an injury so that he could <laughs> limp off that. the field and let Tom, uh, let Drew Henson be in for that one. And, and, Brady was kind of ticked about it. He said in the huddle, how do I fake an injury? And uh, yeah. how do I run like I'm injured? And Shay looked at him and said, Tom, just, just run like you normally do. <laughs> I, I love that one. What <laughs> One of the Good. things I want to know from the book, uh, from that mm -hmm. 97 season is so many people talk about, uh, oh, that blowout that set the tone against Colorado to start or yeah. Judgment Day when they blew Penn State off the field. I'm fascinated by the close games. They turned the ball over multiple times against Notre Dame and could have let that one slip away. We all know about the necessary comeback against Iowa when they dug a deep hole. And uh, the game against Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin mm. was no gimme at all that year. Game. What did these guys think that made the difference in when it got really tough? Was it that defense or was it uh, just a, a special determination? I, I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. by in those moments because we've seen so many Michigan seasons where yeah. uh, you might lose one or two games, but it's that, the, that moment where you need to just do something to pull it out. And that 97 team did it. The best part about it, I think, in those situations, it was never the same person, group, or guy. It was it was always something different because you're right, JB. The first one, the Notre Dame game, was the defense. The defense bailed them out time and time again, over and over. Everyone, and it was a movie at the time in '97. Everyone had seen before, right? It was something that we were all familiar with. Anyone who'd watched that game had seen that game sort of before. But yes, that was the defense doing its job. But then you get to that Iowa game, and Greasy plays so poorly in the first half. And takes and goes in the locker room and takes full ownership uh, of the whole thing, and then comes out in the second half, and you know 
there's so much with Brian's backstory about coming back that year and everything else, but that's the game that second half when he just completely let all the other stuff go and became a championship, probably an NFL quarterback, you know, and yeah. he just never looked back after that. And that's sort of the cool thing about that, about that team is you didn't have, and you know, in the Wisconsin game later on, that's both sides. Probably you have big stops defensively. And then the offense offensive line, making plays in that game, controlling the clock, doing things like that. You had, Everybody sort of pulling their end of the rope. And I think for the whole team to see Greasy respond the way he did like that, um, and, you know, it was such a different era with, with the quarterbacks back then. You know, no one could transfer. Um, you know, there were some guys back then would, that would argue that that run that Michigan had of, you know, with uh, from Elvis and Todd Collins and, and Brian and uh, Leffler before he got hurt, Scott Dreisbach before he got hurt. Brady, uh, you know, Drew, I mean, like, you're not going to find too many better stretches. And the the thing there is those guys went through some really intense competitions, really intense mental, you know, strains. And I think for, for everybody there to see fifth-year senior 1997 Brian Greasy overcome all that and still be standing and be like, we're, we're okay, we win this thing. Like that, I don't think they look back after that. When I, when I really look back and talk to every guy after they beat Iowa, I think it was weak. There, there's no reason that we should lose a game again this season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and maybe another underrated part of that season involved the offensive line of Michigan because we talked so much about the defense. We talk about uh, Brian Greasy and yeah. uh, you know, Jeremy Tooman and Ty Streets. But you, you're talking about two redshirt freshmen on that offensive line <laughs> that uh, were starters and were became, you know, they were pros. Uh, yeah, and did uh, was did Jansen talk about that aspect of it? How they how they put that line together and how it grew as the season went along? Yeah, he did a lot because it's such a fun deal. They were so different. There was like everybody. If you remember, John, there was panic before the season. What are you going to do? They have nothing. You have this talented kid, and everybody knew Jansen was good, and everyone knew that he was going to be a good player. So you got him, but then you're like, okay, Bacchus is a talented recruit. They thought, but the fans didn't know that at the time, that there was no message boards back then. And same thing with Hutchinson. He was an old defensive lineman who they were like, we're really excited about this, but we really don't know. We don't know how it's going to go, but we were like, we don't have a choice either, right? So Jansen talked about that a lot. He said that the guys in 96, a lot of seniors graduated that didn't win a Big Ten title. You know, guys that were good guys, but it was like their team and it was their line and it was you played under their whatever. And, you know, that year, there were a lot of young guys that got to have their voice up. And that offensive line was a big part of that. They were – a lot of them were young. It wasn't – you know, Adam, he was older. And I think they all respected the heck out of him for what he was, you know, yeah, doing positions and stuff. Um, but, you know, other than him, you know, a lot of those guys were young. Hutchinson, first time. Jansen, you know, second-year starter. I think Backus, first-year starter. And they were growing and learning together. And the best part, I think, the the close the closeness there. Jansen, Hutchinson, and, and uh, Jeff – extremely close all those guys were close uh but those guys i think stuck together even afterward um and just you know obviously they played in the nfl for a long time but they pushed each other and it's generational level players you know hutchinson's an nfl hall of famer right i mean you know and john and uh, jeff played in the nfl for a dozen years or whatever it was so to me those are that means you got three generational guys together at the same time and and they knew it and they pushed each other and i that to me is uh is what's special about this team. There's a couple different spots on the team. That's not the only one. You've got other spots along the roster competition, internal, whatever, but a pretty special, pretty special group overall. But Nick, I, w- I wanted I w- one last question about the comparison 97 to this, this 2023. 
how about overall talent, sheer talent, and depth of talent? It seems mm-hmm. to me 2023 has it over 97. Is that a fair statement? Well, we'll have to find out uh, because, like, that's going to – we're going to – the time will tell on the current situation. However, I will say that because that one in 97, there's a stat in there in the book, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like there was a 15-year period, maybe a 17-year period, and it's not just Brady where a guy from that 97 team played in a Super Bowl, almost every one of them, like 15 yeah. to 17 years. The guys they put in the NFL that year – were like pros, pros, like true professional football players. And so that's why I say time will tell. However, this, you know, I don't know what Harbaugh said, 20 guys or whatever he said. I don't know if they'll hit the number that he said. Yeah. I don't know if they'll they'll hit 20. They will certainly hit a dozen. They'll certainly hit close to 15. And, you know, this is the one year that they had um, 2017. I think they put a bunch of guys in the draft. This is more talented than that. And this is more talent than I think last year, probably overall. Uh, in general as well in terms of the draft right so um we'll see this is a really talented group though that's why i think they've got a shot all right we're into the fourth quarter of a very uh fascinating conversation with our good friend and uh colleague nick baumgartner i'm very happy that you joined us nick i want to know a little bit more about the process because you and mark snyder put this mm-hmm. thing together how were the Duties divvied up, and yeah, how- I'm curious to know about that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so we did all the, we did all the interviews with Lloyd together uh, over in person with Lloyd. Um, he's local here, obviously, still, so that's good that we got on, on as many of those as we could. Um, we got done in person because Mark and I live pretty near each other, but we did most of them on Zoom. Most of the interviews we were able to do on Zoom, which helped a ton. Uh, and once the writing process came, I think we sort of decided. Um, to split up, you know, this was an easy-ish book to outline because it's like you, it's a season. So we sort of tried to keep it as chronological as possible. And we, I think, did a smart thing really early on, very early, before we even sat down and started writing. It said, okay, you know, whatever this chapter will become is yours. This is Nick's. This is Mark's. And we just sort of DB'd them out and split them up that way. And just said, just write it all, and then we'll come back and you know try to try to smooth it out. Gene Myers, uh, who was editor at the Free Press for a long, long time, was our editor. Uh, and the best part, John, and you guys will know this, um, is we didn't have a hard, hard deadline when we started it. Like we were, we talked to some places that were interested in doing the book, and I was like, I can't do, we cannot do this with a hard deadline. We ended up publishing it ourselves through a uh, through a separate situation there, which was uh, an adventure in its of its own right. But um, not having a deadline helped an awful, awful lot because we were able to sort of really make sure that we got everything and really make sure that it also sounds like you're not at two people writing it at the same time. Okay. Well then tell people, I mean, how are they to go about uh, finding this book, you know, purchasing? Yeah. Right now it's on Amazon, obviously. Um, You can search mountaintop on there or my name or Mark's name, Nick Bumgarner, Mark Snyder, Uh, Michigan1997book.com has got all the information. We've got some reviews uh, some excerpts linked up there. Uh, we've got an excerpt in the Free Press, excerpt in uh, at the Athletic. Um, it's in uh, it's at the M Den right now. Uh, we have books there. It should be at the M Den on Main if you're on campus for a game. Uh, should be at the M Den in and I'll believe the stadium locations as well uh, for games or somewhere in there. Schuler Books in Ann Arbor as well. And I think we're going to talk to Literati here soon. So we're slow rolling it out, uh, but uh, it's making its way to all the bookstores. But right now, uh, for sure, Amazon's the easiest way to get it. Very good. All right. Well. Um, before I let you go, obviously these last couple of years have featured, uh, a 
real turnaround in the Ohio State series, yeah. which to me is the key to Michigan season anytime. Right. And because that, that, you know, that that's the 800 pound gorilla in the room and they got over the top there. That means they're in the big 10 championship game these last two years. And if you are in that, you're going to win if you're from the East, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> historically speaking, right. Take me, take us back to that, that showdown in 97 against the Buckeyes, mm. because I mean, you're talking about one offensive touchdown scored by the Wolverines in that game. And it was, uh, you know, give, give us a little peek behind the curtain in that one. It was a fascinating game because every guy on the team, that's a very close game. That's a 20, that game was a one oh, position yeah. game for a long time. And Absolutely. every guy that I talked to were like, I didn't remember it like that. We kicked the shit. We beat them up. Like they remember, <laughs> they remember dominating the game. And it was like, they did not, like there was a play late in that game where Greasy, they're only up six, right? It's the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And Greasy does, it slips or falls or does something. The ball comes out awkward and he throws it right off of either Cassin Moyer or the other linebacker's chest. And it's like, it would have been a pick six. And it, or something, it would have been bad, you know, yeah, really was, bad. Uh, how about the two-point conversion? And, it almost yeah, got right. two-point so, conversion. It was almost taken back. Yes, know? and then I remember. So I asked Lloyd even about that. He's like, "No, nah, I don't remember." But I, I don't remember that. But I think that that says to me that the focus that those guys had in that game on every single like snap was at another. There's a great story that Rob Sweat tells about the, and I know everybody remembers the play. You guys remember, I'm sure, uh, where he chased down Captain Moyer on that uh, on that blocked extra point and chased, yeah. you know. And he just like the the story he tells about everything going through his mind about you know his career how far he got there to that point everything he had had to go through here's the super recruit you know linebacker run down the field and it's Michigan Ohio State and like his mindset was like they get no points they get none they don't get one nothing for free everything they get has to be the hard way and he's like if I have to chase this guy you know I'll uh, die doing it I'm going to do it and that was. To me, that 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 epitomized not only that game, but that whole season. That's how they played every single game. And so in those close games, they didn't feel it because like they're the great example of a team that really didn't run from pressure. They applied pressure. And I think that that's the, the sign of a champion. Yeah, well, there, there's no doubt about it. They had what it took to get it done. Uh, we, we do want to uh, mention one of our sponsors here uh and that would be of course before we let you go uh take a minute out to uh to shout out the sponsor of our tuesday night recruiting show a longtime partner of the wolverine and lewis jewelers simple question guys is your daughter's engagement ring bigger than that of your wife if the answer is yes great news lewis jewelers can help it's stress-free and easy working with one of their non-commissioned expert uh, trusted advisors finding that perfect diamond. So stop by today, guys, and fix this family issue. Lewis Jewelers, your diamond store, and so much more since 1921. Visit them at their new location. That would be 300 South Maple Road, Ann Arbor, or online at lewisjewelers.com. That's L-I-E-W-I-S-J-E-W-E-R-S.com. That's Lewis Jewelers, where Ann Arbor gets engaged. And uh, again, extra special thanks to Nick Baumgartner, our visitor tonight, uh, talking about the book Mountaintop. Make sure that uh, you pick this up, uh, get a copy. It's very good. Tom Crawford, thanks for uh, joining us as always. See you, Nick. We will see See you all. 
next time around. Uh, uh, I appreciate your following and good night, everybody. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.